welcome back to Sex News with Ray. We're glad to have you, all of my fuck demons. Today we are joined again by Chris Carlson, the owner and operator of Flourished Education and Consulting. She provides sexual health education both in a school and community level and consulting work on human trafficking within the province of Ontario. Chris has been hired as a subject matter specialist on working with and engaging with young people who are at risk or have been trafficked or suffered sexual abuse. And she also owns DiscreetParty.com, which is an adult novelty business and has been in business since 2007. And we are continuing the conversation on sex trafficking today. Are you excited? excited? To be back. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me. What a fun conversation to have. Yeah. What a, well, what a positive, uplifting time. Yeah. You know, and it's it's interesting because people often ask me, like, how do you stay so upbeat when you work with like such a hard population? Um, and I think the truth of the matter is, is that um, just making sure that you're able to see the small successes. And so um, just thinking back to even when I started this position six years ago, um, I literally have four young people that I've worked with who are graduating from college or university this year, um, you know, whose lives completely changed from how originally they came into service with me into like, they're just like back and they're nailing life and they're just it's those things that keep me going every single day. And, you know, it's opportunities like this, getting to come out and raise awareness and um, talk to people about change they can make in their own community and keeping people safe. And so I just thank you for this opportunity, getting to come out and chat with you today and all your listeners. Yeah, thanks for coming back. We're actually going to talk on a more positive note about the transition out of trafficking. And today's article yes. is called Helping Human Trafficking Survivors Get Back on Their Feet at Alora House. It's from the Toronto Star on April 5th, 2022. And I open up, I'm going to open with the quote from the article because it said it so much better than I will. Set in an undisclosed location in Wellington County, Alora House opened its doors on March 2020 to survivors of human trafficking and sexual exploitation, the first of its kind in the county. The house is open to survivors identifying as females and serves as a first stage home for them. The model they follow is about helping survivors stay out of human trafficking and sexual exploitation for a long enough time that they break the cycle of victimization. And this first stage home offers programs, resources, and therapies like fitness, yoga, cognitive behavioral therapy, and group talks on healthy boundaries. One of the reasons the house's location remains confidential is for safety purposes, a quote from a spokesperson. If a survivor comes into our care and has just exited a trafficking situation, a lot of the time they don't identify as a victim yet. So if they don't identify as a victim and don't identify their trafficker as their trafficker and they go out and meet them again and come back to a Laura house, the safety and location of the home is compromised, she said. They also then say that residents are mostly between 21 and 27, although they had one outlier in their 50s, and they come from all over Canada. And a second stage home is in the works to continue the transition model that involves three stages. So I would love to hear your thoughts, if you're familiar with this model, and just more about the transitioning out of trafficking. Yeah, so um, I'm I'm familiar with a, a Laura house. I'm I, up until recently, though, most of the young people who like we've worked with, um, I, I haven't had too many people who have voluntarily exited, um, just because usually between the ages of like 13, like I was talking last uh, time, like the average age of recruitment is 13. We're actively seeing the median age of people being trafficked as 17, um, in the province of Ontario. So we see a lot of people exiting at 21 through 27. And the reason that that's happening is because their life on track, like 
they've kind of expired. Um, so just like we talked about last week, the demand is what keeps the age of trafficking quite young. Um, but we aren't seeing those young people exit as frequently, um, mostly because um, they keep them very well hidden, but they also um, continue to make it almost impossible for them to leave by all of the opportunities or all of the money or all of the items that they're purchasing for these young people. Um, so we do see a steep um, exit rate between the ages of 21 and 27. Um, so when we talk about three-stage model, model one is they do tend to keep that um, those kinds of locations as secret as they can, um, simply because oftentimes we see people who try and exit, but all of the things haven't been put well enough in place for them. And so they tend to go back. When we think statistically about um, trauma, we know that people who are quitting an addiction, on average, it takes between eight and 11 attempts. For people who are fleeing a domestic violence or some sort of violent relationship, uh, intimate partner violence, we know that it takes between seven and nine times to leave. So now if you start adding all of that up, compounding it together, um, usually in alignment with some sort of childhood trauma, um, you can imagine how hard it is for young people to exit cleanly. And so we see people who oftentimes come in and out several times. Um, and that has been one of the biggest barriers, I think, for survivors is that um, most um, services um, have like a, a one strike you're out rule. And so people burn through service and service providers really, really quickly. Um, and I don't know if you'll remember, but last, last time when we were talking, I talked a little bit about the defensiveness, the level of trauma, the complex post-traumatic stress disorder that these survivors are going through. Um, and it makes it really, really difficult to stay involved with them unconditionally for a really long period of time. And so, um, First stage is often um, up to 18 months. That's um, like, so it'll usually zero to 18 months is like the length of time that it really takes somebody to be transitioned enough that they would be able to like live somewhat independently, semi-independently. So that's what the stage two would be, which would be, you know, they're now at the point where they are able to transition to living without these services and support. Yeah, and so stage two, it might still be like doing like a weekly drop-in, still using the peer-to-peer -peer support, still having lots of these people, but always having something to fall back on. Um, and then when we get to stage three, stage three is completely independent, but just more like community-based resourcing. Alora House sounds very healing. It sounds like a spa. Yeah, you know, um, it it's important because I think for way too long, We've been trying to carve survivors into like treatment or rehabilitative services that weren't designed for trafficking survivors. And there's nobody quite like a survivor of human trafficking because you have to think that it's so layered. Um, human trafficking is like, it has its own culture. It has its own language. It has its own economy and hierarchy. Um, you're asking somebody to reintegrate from a completely different world. It's like asking an alien to like come back and live on earth without any sort of direction. Um, they've been forced for months, never to have any choices. Um, their rights and responsibility has been stripped away from them. They get to make no decisions. Like 
even the basic idea of like ordering a coffee and not second guessing what you're allowed to have in it. Like these are things that I have to work through with survivors. And um, it takes a really good skilled um, practitioner to be able to do that in a wholesome, um, non-threatening, but like ever endearing way. Like we unconditionally have to accept survivors um, where they're at. And so not forcing what we believe to be in their best interest, um, not trying to force that on them is the biggest barrier, but it will be your biggest win if you can master that. Like it will make you the person that people seek out. One thing that I'm picking out from our conversation and from all these articles is that trafficking victims do not see themselves as victims. So Mm -hmm. how do we go about starting that change in mentality? getting someone to recognize, even if they don't say I'm a victim of, of sex trafficking, but how do we get someone to recognize that what situation they're in isn't normal or isn't healthy and that they can and should leave? Yeah. So, um, I, when people ask me what I do for a living, I oftentimes say I'm a gardener. Um, I say I literally plant seeds every time I see them. So I'm just like planting like little seeds of like, oh, that's interesting. You know, in my experience with relationships, I've never had that happen. Can you talk me through that? Like, what does that look like for you and your boyfriend then if that's like what's happening? Or what does that look like for you and your friends when this is happening? You know, so who makes the decisions about how long you stay there or who, you know, and being curious without asking people to out their trauma. You know, like if there's one thing that I can tell people, don't ask just because you're curious. Like that is probably the biggest thing that can really shut a survivor down is if um, if they're making the move to potentially exit and you just start asking way too many questions and not because it's going to impact your service delivery with them, but just more because you're nosy or you're curious, um, that will shut it down. That will shut down your credibility very, very quickly. Um, so, oh, I just went off on a tangent. I kind of forgot where we were going there, right? Sorry. No problem. The question was just how do we start getting trafficking victims to realize that they need to exit? Yeah. So other or that, things or that, that something, or that they're in like an unhealthy situation. Yeah. So, um, other things that, um, I often do is like, I, I, I exchange the language. So like I said, I've never had someone say, oh, survivor of trafficking. No, but if I, if I talk to young people about, have you ever had to exchange sex in order to have a safe place to live? Have you ever had to exchange sex for food? Have you ever had to exchange sex um, to have a basic need met? And they're under, that's exploitive. Right. And so when you can start doing it, because anti-trafficking or talking about trafficking sounds fucking scary. They made movies about it. Like the movie Taken also does not, is not what human trafficking looks like at all in Canada. You know, like trafficking can take place on our boyfriend's couch. Trafficking can take place in my own family home. Right. We don't have to go somewhere far away. I'm not going to be snatched off the street and put in a white van. Like, exploitation and trafficking can simply be that somebody's taking advantage of us in our own spaces, in our own whatever. And so when we start destigmatizing it and we start talking about it in like, this happens a lot. Like we know that one in five girls between the ages of between grade seven and grade 12 will, will be will be exploited for either nudes or be exploited because of some sort of sexual, like some sort of sextortion act. That to me tells me how 
huge these numbers are. And people aren't just coming forward to report because our judicial system does nothing to hold um, people accountable. Right. Well, I'm thinking even just in terms of the parallels with coercive and abusive relationships, right? When, That's right. Like if we can't even recognize an abusive relationship or someone who's grooming us to be in an abusive relationship, how can we recognize if a friend is being trafficked or we're in some sort of exploit, exploit, exploitive, exploitative relationship? Exploitive? Yes. Yeah. I'm going to go with whatever one we say. Yeah. Um, right? A hundred percent. And so um, think about for how, like, think about how long it took for violence against women or, you know, intimate partner violence to become something that we could openly talk about right? This was not a subject that was ever talked about. And it took a really, really, really long time for survivors to be able to come forward of intimate partner violence to be able to come forward. And there is still this huge stigma if men are the victims or like the survivors, especially if they're being exploited by women or if they're being abused by women. So we continue to have these huge layers of shame and guilt and and fear. Um, am I eligible for service if, you know, what if I'm not cis, white? Um, what if I don't have all the isms? Um, does that prevent me from being able to get service? Does that prevent me from being able to get assistance? Um, so those are really important things that we have to look at um, as people who might be in somebody's life. Like, so what barriers do we have to bridge for them so that they gain all of the opportunity to survive? I had a friend exit a course of relationship recently, and she said that when she was in it, she kept Googling, um, she kept Googling, what is an abusive relationship? Am I in abusive relationship? And every single time um, she looked at the list and she goes, well, that's not me. That's not what I'm experiencing. That's not it. So she wasn't able to recognize what she was in as an abusive or coercive relationship. And I would say too, that the fact that she felt the need to Google it at all was probably a sign. Um, Like if you find yourself Googling, you know, am I in an X, Y, Z, that's probably a sign that something in you is telling you that something is wrong. But like, why is it that when we Google, am I in X, Y, Z, they give you this like listicle of five of the most obvious things that everyone knows, but it doesn't give you nuances. It doesn't give you the actual information you need to make that choice for yourself. Why, why is that? You know, I have no idea. Um, I think that people get scared. Like if I like, cause I'm just going to throw this out here. Um, like I know that when we're doing trafficking, they only want things that I can, that have been proven in papers. But I'm going to tell you, the things that have been proven in papers have been because you've been able to collect some data about it. It's probably old. It's probably outdated. Like, it would probably say that most of these young people still find their people on Facebook. You know what I mean? Like, it's not going to allude to, like, Snapchat, Instagram, you know, Snap Premium, TikTok. Like, so I also don't think that we have enough people willing to pay to fund these kind of research to get us the data that actually aligns with the people who are survivors in the moment. Like it takes years and years and years for us to collect that data. And by the time the data gets to us and we can go on record or quote it, um, if you're doing this in a professional way, um, usually the information's outdated. 
So let's say not all of us are professionals and we are worried about someone in our lives. What kind of questions or things could we say or ask to get them thinking about if they're in some sort of unhealthy relationship? Like you said that you like to plant seeds and you like to garden. Yeah. So what are some of the seeds we could give us some language that we could use if we want to help people in our lives? So if I'm planting a seed and I'm like, um, so like, let's say if we're talking about intimate partner violence, because more times than not, that's how someone's referred to me. So I might say like, you know, it seems that he gets really upset when you're coming out to see me. Like, does he get upset when you go out and see blah, blah, blah? Or like, and I would enter somebody else's name. So like, how often do you get to go out and see your friends? Like, it must be really lonely being home, like all the time. Like, how often do you get to do something with your friends? And then when they give me an answer, I'm like, oh, so like, do you share those friends? Or are those just your friends exclusively? And then if they're like, she's like, oh, if they're our friends, I was like, oh, did you bring them to the relationship or did he? Because oftentimes when you might be in an exploitive relationship, you often get put in, they refer to it as like stables or houses. Um, And so those will become people who are also being exploitive, exploited. So then now you have a group of like four women or four people who are all being exploited, but they all think it's really normal because it's happening to all of them. Mm -hmm. so you become part of a new normal and so like they won't they won't let squares stay there because they don't want them to have anybody else giving any more information and does that work when you ask questions like oh who brought the friends who did does that actually get people to start thinking about about if their experience is normal or not does that work yeah because people want to brag like people want to share things about themselves And I'm going to tell you, like, I'm not going to start having these conversations on the very first time I've met somebody. Like I spend months, like hours. um, I think we kind of did like loosey goosey math. So social worker math. Um, Mm -hmm. And we were saying uh, around on average, I was spending approximately 207 service hours per year with every single one of my clients. And so it takes a really long time and lots of consistency. You can't hop into somebody's life one time and ask them, start asking them these questions. It doesn't work, right? It needs to be somebody that they trust, somebody that's going to be there consistently, no matter what the answer is. Um, And they, even when my clients like get out of my car, tell me to fuck myself, like say they never want to see me again, slam my car door, and then they walk away. I'm still going to show up at the same place that we're scheduled to show up next Tuesday. Like if that's when our next appointment is. And if, even if they don't show up, I still consistently show up. So the one time when they are like, oh my God, I've lost all communication. They know Tuesdays at 1030, I'm going to be at Dairy Queen parking lot, you know, wait and have chicken fingers. Like they always, they can count on me because I will always remain committed. And so I think that that becomes the first thing. I think it has to be consistent. It has to be genuine. And you have to really care to ask that what the, find out what the answers to these questions are. Because again, if you're asking to be nosy, these, these people can smell farts like lies in elevators. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like they, they know they're like, if you tell a lie or you're ungenuine, they're like, mm, no, we're out. And they will disengage very quickly. Yeah, well, when I was with this friend of mine, I basically, I did the mistake of naming the behavior as abusive. I was like, you know, the behavior, like to the guy, like to the guy, I like called, like was on the phone. I was like, I want you to understand that like what your behavior is, is abusive. 
Like it's classic mm-hmm. abuser behavior. And of course that meant that he didn't want her to hang out with me anymore. Um, yeah. That's like classic thing. But I mean, fuck it. I'm not a, I'm not a, a social worker. I'm, I was, I was just furious. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously once again, she exited. So it worked out in the end. So I guess my next question is, okay, more examples of things we could plant because we are not taught how to have these conversations in a way that, that allow you to continue building that relationship with your friend while you're trying to help them. And then you just end up getting angry and saying things that are the opposite of what you wanted. So, yeah. So I think, um, always be truthful too. So if they say something and you could be like, Oh, like that surprises me. Cause that's not been my experience. So like, I, that's my favorite one. Oh, that's not been my experience in relationships or, you know, talking to lots of people. I, I, that's not something I would have heard. Can you tell me more about that? I'm genuinely curious about it. Like, so how do you decide like, um, other things I'm like, so like how, who decides like where you go and how you spend time? Um, oftentimes I'll say, I just want to double check that you have access to money at all times. Like, so, you know, if you're on Ontario works or whatever, like, like who, where, do you have a bank account? Like, how do you keep your money safe? Who handles your money? Um, because that's a really interesting way. So if they're like, oh no, my boyfriend takes care of all the finances because he says I'm really bad with money. And I'd be like, wow, that sounds like it would be scary for you because what would happen if you needed to leave? Like, what would be your plan if you needed to leave? And then I have them develop a plan. And when they can't develop a plan, I, I, I would start being plunking in resources. So, you know, if you ever had to leave in a hurry, um, there's this organization or there's this organization that would really be able to help you out with that. Um, and it's not saying that um, you need to use this right now because you are this. It's like, hey, just a heads up. Like, I also use um, the fact that I do lots of education around human trafficking. So I'll print my PowerPoints out and I'll have kids read them. So I'll have people who I believe to be at risk. I'll have them read them and say, hey, if I was talking to a group of young people, is the language I'm using accurate? Right. And then you're asking for their opinion in it. And then they're like, well, actually, yeah, actually, Chris, this isn't even real anymore. And I'll be like, oh, can you tell me something about that? And they'll be like, well, now kids blank, blank, blank. Now, or now if this, this is da, 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 this is the language they use. Um, and that's a really, that's a game changer because when they trust me enough to say that, they've around the corner acknowledged that something isn't right. You know, I also like really, I also use sex ed, like, so me taking the sex ed course was amazing because it was really great way of me being able to say, you know, like, oh, you know, I have to make sure that I go and get, you know, STI tests. And they were like, well, why would you do that? And I, like, aren't you married? I'm like, yeah, but you know, sometimes you just want to do that. It's a really natural thing. And people who are keeping you from doing that don't actually want you. You know what I mean? Like, why wouldn't you go and get tested? Like, you know, and, and you're like, well, you know, it's scary. It, it can be backfired. Like you don't want to find out. And I'm like, no, anybody who loves you would want you to do that. Right. Anyone who loves you would empower you to make good decisions for you and your body. And so like planting just those kinds of seeds or like, did you know that like, um, 
like, did you know that only 3% of all sexual assault cases ever end up in a guilty plea? I mean, I can imagine if somebody had been a victim of sexual assault or had been sexually exploited, I, I can imagine how difficult that would be for them to come forward and tell the truth because most adults wouldn't believe them. And kids are like, you're right. Adults never believe us. I was like, oh yeah, do you have an example of like times when adults didn't? And it just opens the conversation um, and it's trusting and it's loving and um, no matter what they say, I'm going to be there the next day. Well, it sounds like you're very good at your job. I, it takes a lot of work. Like I was not very good at it at the beginning, but, um, you have to be open and you have to move from wanting to rescue people to wanting to empower people. I think that that was the big mind fuck for me. Like I don't rescue anybody. They are empowered to change their lives they're empowered to make change themselves and that's the change that sticks like I can say I'm gonna exit somebody but it's never gonna stick it's when they choose to exit themselves that that change will last for a very long time if someone wanted to donate money to an organization that's helping with these issues what are great ones that you would recommend okay Hmm. There is, um, so Tamea Naji Payne, so Tamea's cause, she actually helps hire previous exploited people in giving them jobs. And so they actually make bath bombs, um, relaxation things, and they're all named after people who helped exit survivors. So like their charcoal bar is named after somebody who had opened up uh, two survivor beds. Um, and he, and that person really helped them exit. And all of the money that is bought through, uh, like all of the money that you buy items and you receive items, it's all back to rehiring um, exited people into full-time positions. So that's a really nice way also to like open a conversation. I know last year um, I bought almost all of my Christmas presents through that, um, through Tamea, to, uh, Tamea's Cause website, um, knowing that the money was going to employ somebody in a like well-paid, genuinely caring job. Um, but I also got something to give away. And when my nieces and my nephews open those packages, being able to start a conversation with them about like, hey, so... I bought this product and this helps survivors of human trafficking. And then they want to know what that is and being able to walk them through what it looks like to be at risk. We'll put that link in the show notes for people in case they want to purchase some relaxation yeah. products for themselves. Perfect. Sounds yeah. Like a great organization. Yeah. It, it, I, and Tamea, um, she was an exploited person who was exploited into our country from Hungary under the guise of like coming here to be a nanny. Um, so her story, she sits as part of the United Nations um, to talk about exploitation of women and girls um, across the world. So she is a phenomenal resource to us. Yeah, you want um, to talk about labor trafficking, women of color being trafficked into our country to like, absolutely before like, like, if you're living in a housing situation with a family that's garbage and underpaying you and you don't speak the language and you don't have connections here, like you want to talk labor trafficking. That's awful. Absolutely. Um, also, any victim services in the province of Ontario, um, they're always looking for volunteers, they're always looking for financial donations. Um, it is probably one of the most underfunded programs, yet they're the people 
doing the crisis 24 hours a day, middle of the night, going to hotels and exiting these people. Um, they're always in need of like things like jump bags, um, per hygiene products, phones. So if you can find a victim services in your area, that would be a fantastic thing. And if anyone has extra phones kicking around and they will take a SIM card, if you can drop them off to your local victim services building, they will forever be grateful because that's how we stay in touch with survivors. Fantastic. Thank you for all those wonderful suggestions. Yeah, of course. All right, we'll take a short break and come back with our listener question. This is your casual, super chill reminder that we have podcast swag. Do you want a hat that says fuck demon? We have those, among other items. You can find them through sharewithray.com slash merch or head to my Etsy store, send nudes by Ray. And we're back. Okay, Chris, you're going to love this question, given the other nature of the other business of what you do. Yes, okay. Can you fuck up your clit by edging too much with a womanizer or satisfier? Is it true that you should swap up your masturbation routine because you will not be able to orgasm other ways if you get stuck in one way? Okay. So air pleasure technology, like through the womanizer and the satisfier is actually a completely different type of, um, so it's actually not touching or, um, editing it. You actually don't have to have it right on your clit. So they say that the womanizer and satisfier air pleasure technology toys will not create clit numbness. That's what I call it going clit numb. Um, that will not happen with air pleasure technology. Um, as with other vibrators, I think, I think the block really happens mentally. So I, so this is, this is a really funny thing that I say. So men have to think not to come. Women have to think to come. So you almost have to create like this like this thing in your brain where you're almost granting yourself permission to do it. If you're like, um, uh, like a vulva body, I think that we almost have to like get in our heads to be able to do it. Um, so I think that we almost get in a rut with our sex toys. Like we think that that's the only way it can happen, but it would really be important for us to unpack why we believe that to be true. Yeah. I do know that you can build certain neural pathways in your brain and mm -hmm. you can unlearn those neural pathways by just literally mixing it up more. Like you just have to, like, if you're like, oh, I've been masturbating the same way for years of my life and I want to learn other ways of masturbating. It means that you have to just not masturbate that one way. And believe me, you will learn how to orgasm from other methods. If you can learn how to orgasm from a satisfier after never having used one before, then you can learn That's how right. to orgasm from other ways as well. Absolutely. And I think it's like, like that whole granting of permission and being like in it to win it. Like, I think that we just think it becomes like the old adage, like this is the way we've always done it and it's work. So I can't do it any other way, but we know that's not true. So yeah. um, reach out, try a hundred different things. And you know what? It will probably be just as good, if not better. It Like it might just take you longer at the beginning. But that's okay. Yeah. You're just going to have to set aside a little bit more time to get there and try the different sensation and like actually relax your way into it. That's part of it. You have yes. to let go. And when you're trying mm -hmm. something different, you have to like actively let go. And that's the challenging part. Yeah. Be more like Elsa. Also like, you know, oh, I'm reading Girls and Sex by Peggy Ornstein right now, which is oh, a fantastic yeah. book and not at all putting me in a bad mood every day. No, um, she's, there's something about her writing that while she's talking about this truly terrible stuff, you're still very entertained and you don't feel doom and gloom. 
Um, yeah. I don't know how she manages it because the things that she's writing about are absolutely devastating. And I'm like, oh, yes, all of this feels like my teenage years. Um, but one thing she talks about is how like young women especially don't have partnered orgasms and they say things like, I'm satisfied as long as he's satisfied. And yes. like, I remember being like, like that age and saying dumb shit like that. Um, but part of it too, is because half the time when you're especially at that age, it, it's such a struggle to orgasm with a partner because they're not listening to you and they're not putting you in that mindset to relax and actually enjoy yourself and just do whatever you need to, that feels good. It has to be about what they think you're supposed to want. Yeah. And I also think too, it's like, I kind of feel bad for boys because boys are growing up in this culture, learning most of their sex ed from porn and porn's not real. Like I remember when I had this conversation, um, with this, these young guys and they were like, Oh no, like this is what girls want. And I was like, have you ever asked? Like, and they're like, no, no, like I seen a movie, it's real. It's like, and I said, Oh, so like, you can also like enter a plane while it's flying from the outside. And they were like, pardon, like, you know, like in Mission Impossible too. So you can do all those things. Like, so you're Jackie Chan too. Like you can do everything that Jackie, and he's like, well, no. And I was like, but that's a movie and that's real. Like, think about what you just said. Like people in adult film are professionals. Like they're paid, like they like they practice, like practice is perfect. And so like, that's their skill set, you know? So I always caution too, like we have to have conversations with the young men and the young women in our lives that we get what we ask for. And so it's really encouraging young people to be able to say, hold up, like, I need to have this conversation because this is what's feeling good for me. And this isn't feeling good for me. And I think it all begins with like really good consent conversations. Yeah, I'm meeting so many more young men who actually want their partner to experience genuine pleasure. Um, I taught a consent workshop to a fraternity a month or two ago. And um, I, you know, I made a joke. I didn't do this, but I made a joke that I was just going to slam open the door and say, stop raping people, you rapists, and then leave. But like, that's not at all. I mean, I thought it was, it's funny, but like, I don't genuinely, like studies show that people don't want to be rapists. People don't want to be assaulting people. They want to do their best. They want to have good sex and they want to have pleasurable sex and they want their partners to have pleasurable sex. So if you know that young men are genuinely trying to create pleasurable sexual interactions, then where's the miscommunication happening? Young women need to be empowered to speak up. And I have said, even to these young men, I'm like, okay, here's the thing. You don't just choke people without asking first. Okay. And if a girl says no, but means yes, walk away. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like if she's not mature enough to actually ask for what she wants, then like, don't have sex with her. It is not worth the risk to your reputation. And like, you know, we need to be teaching young women. Yes. To feel empowered and ask for what they want. And we also need to teach men that if a woman says no, believe her and you will have sex again one day, it will be okay. There will be another chance to have sex again one day. Absolutely. All right. Anything to add before we go into our sex ed story of the week? No, that's great. I just, you know, I think that we just continually need to remember that um, knowledge is power. And when we empower people to make decisions for themselves, they make the right one. All right. Sex ed story of the week comes from Abraham. Abraham says, I had no real sex ed at school since I'm a little older, but my most sex positive Jewish moment was in high school when a bachelor kollel student gathered some of my friends together to read Shulchan Aruch on the ways to bring your wife pleasure with the rabbis, discussing, should you use your hands, your mouth, your various limbs, or all three? Which makes me laugh because that's Judaism for you. Not only are you religiously obligated to pleasure your wife. 
but how is also mandated by the rabbis. What? Oh, yeah. That's amazing. We had a very long, we like season two, three of this podcast was like just all about Judaism and sex and all the rules around it. And out of all of the religions in the world, like I was, okay, also I was reading this in Girls and Sex, but apparently like mm. it's something like three quarters of Christian kids think that you should wait until marriage. But like in Judaism, it's like a quarter. It's like the lowest of all the religions, the like the, the sex shamey type of religions. What's the... I know that like the Christians call it Judeo-Christian, you yeah. know, the Abrahamic religions. I'm sorry, yeah, I'm yeah. blanking on the words. Yeah, yeah. But apparently Jews, like out of all of them, like Jews are the least likely to say we're waiting till marriage. Oh my God, that's so cool. Like, I just love that. Yeah, just there's nothing sexier than a rabbi saying you must finger your wife. Yeah, or like imagine how great it's going to be for you when she does too. Because yeah. here's the thing. I think that that's the boat that sometimes gets missed too is that when it doesn't pay off for the other party the other party stops showing up for work you know so like if eventually if somebody is not getting the satisfaction that they need they're going to stop showing up in a bunch of different ways you know that they're going to stop being as playful they're going to stop being they're going to stop doing the performance they're going to stop you know like putting in all of that extra that makes it so awesome and nobody actually wants that, right? Like we want like that back and forth, that playful, that exciting, that trying new things. But if somebody doesn't like, doesn't get the payoff, they're going to really stop putting in the effort. And I think that that's what a lot of relationships are missing. That playfulness, the effort, as you said, it's not 50, yeah. 50, it's 100, 100. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. You've said so many great things that should be written down in a book. And I'm going to like take notes when I'm listening back for editing purposes. And I'm very excited. But that's a great way of putting it. And also, I was just I just had a moment where I just realized that the rabbis say nothing about pleasing a husband because that's assumed. But I'm just imagining how great it must be for Jewish lesbian couples to know that like on Shabbat, when they're religiously pleasuring each other, it's just like the best, you know, good deed you could possibly do. You're, you're being very righteous, you know, in those that. moments. If you have two wives, you get to double the righteousness. All right. Awesome. Thank you for listening, everybody. I know this was a shorter episode, but I think we really covered a lot of ground in a short span of time. We sure did. Chris, where can people follow you? Absolutely. So um, people can check me out on Instagram at discreetparty.tbay um, or they can reach out to me via email at chris at flourished.ca. Um, F-L-O-U-R-I-S-H-E-D. You can join the deviants to finding a leap in the following long ass credits Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Sex News with Ray. Submit a listener question or your sex ed story through sharewithray.com slash podcast or email sexnewswithray at gmail.com or, you know, DM me. Where can you DM me? There's so many channels. The Sex News with Ray Instagram, at Wife Bay Ray on Instagram and TikTok, or Share with Ray also on Instagram. I have too many Instagrams. For latex con content, Instagram at Razor Latex. For nudes, OnlyFans at Razor Latex. This podcast is produced by me and engineered by Josh from Josh T Films and is hosted at sexnewswithray.podbean.com. The theme music is by Blank and Brilliant and the logo is by Dolly Shots Photography. Have a wonderful two weeks, everybody.